It was just a couple months ago on February 7th that former basketball coach Dean Smith passed away. He had been the head coach at the University of North Carolina for 36 years. And all but one of those years, he had a winning season. All except his first year of coaching there at UNC, and he never let that year repeat itself. When he retired in 1997, he was the winningest coach in basketball history. Now, one of the things that he was known for, besides his success on the court, was how much he cared about his players. Now, he was a man of deep faith, and this showed in the way that he raised up these young men and and cared for them in every aspect. Now, there were other college basketball coaches who didn't really care for Dean Smith, but the players all did. They would talk about how much he meant in their lives, what a formative time of their growing up that that was, and many of them referred to him as kind of a second father figure in their lives. Many of them, including Michael Jordan, would go on to have very successful careers in the NBA. And he was someone who remembered them and and followed them all throughout their lives. Well, about, about a month after he passed away, the news came out about his will. It seems that long before he became sick and and passed away from his illness, he had made preparations to leave a gift for all of his players. He arranged that all of his former players would be sent $200, along with a note that encouraged them to have a nice meal out on Coach Smith. He was someone who, long before it had happened, he had seen that the time of his departure was growing near, and so he made preparations so that all of these young men that he had watched and cared for and loved would continue to know that that was still the case. Not even death would stop him from finishing his race well. Today was the running of the national, the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon. And it is a race, a run to remember. The stated purpose of this race is to celebrate life, to reach for the future, to remember those who were killed, and to unite the world in hope. Now, when it started in 2001, there were just under 5,000 participants. But this year, it's grown to more than 25,000 people from all over the world. And imagine all of those people coming together for the purpose of uniting the world in hope, for giving thanks, for remembering. These are people who have made a difference simply by running and finishing the race. Now, when you run a marathon or any race, there are plenty of reasons that you could use to quit. You can get tired. You can get winded. Your body's depleted of energy. You become dehydrated and worn out. And your mind can kind of play tricks on you, and and you just don't have any desire to go any further. And yet, to finish the race, you have to be committed to each and every step so that you can finish well. For all the people who made that commitment today 
and are continuing to do so and live that out, they have been a part of something great. This morning, I want to continue on in our worship sermon series called to greatness. We're looking at the lives of the early church leaders and the disciples in the time following the ascension of Christ into heaven. These are people that their lives were completely changed. Now, if you look at the disciples shortly before the crucifixion, they were running scared. They couldn't even admit to knowing Christ. And yet after the ascension, these men have been filled with power and a reminder of God's calling in their life. They, remind, they were reminded that they have been called to greatness, that they were called to go out into the world and to share the gospel of God's love. And that message would be shared around the world and throughout time. And it's why we're here today. There were many reasons why they could have stopped, and yet they continued to press on despite the circumstances in the world around them. And because of that, they were a part of impacting the world. The same is true for us. Throughout the series, we're looking at all the ways that God has blessed our lives, and God has given us the gift of time. God has given us life itself, and not life to be lived in a mediocre, mundane sort of way, and nor is life to be lived in a fashion that we only think of ourselves. We are called to live life in a big way, to live life to the fullest, because we are called to greatness for ourselves and to make the world a better place. This morning, we're looking at the scripture from uh, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing it from prison. Now, many scholars debate on whether First and Second Timothy were written by Paul or on his behalf, but either way, it's reflecting a time that he is facing the death penalty, he'll be executed for being a Christian leader, and he's in his last period of imprisonment. It would have been so easy for him to give up, and yet he continues to press on and, and write letters and, and send out words of, of encouragement to the, the early church and to the leaders of the church. If you look at First and Second Timothy, especially the beginning and the end, you kind of get a bookend for Paul's Christian life. The beginning of First Timothy, he writes... Though I formerly blasphemed and persecuted and insulted Christ, I received mercy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the foremost of sinners. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience for an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. He's talking about the very beginnings of his faith, how he acted in in terrible ways against God, and yet God in his mercy drew near to him. And now, at the end of 2 Timothy, he writes that the time of his departure has come, that he has fought the fight, he has finished the race, and he has kept the faith. He's saying that The faith he has, the relationship he has with God has kept him strong to the very end of his life. 
so that in bringing him into the faith, God's grace and mercy saved him. And it's what continues to save him and give him the stamina to finish well. You know, all of us are called to greatness. And yet there are so many things in life that can cause us to become overwhelmed or or think about quitting. There are times in our relationships or maybe we are worried about financial struggles. Maybe we have projects at work or home that seem to be too much to handle. Maybe it's too much for us to think about getting in shape. Or maybe we're overwhelmed with the thought of, of overcoming an addiction or dealing with our health problems. In those times, it can be so easy to want to just give in to the circumstances of life. And yet, there's a better way to live. It's when we focus on our relationship with Christ and, and let him to see us through. And we can live a life that truly is great for ourselves and for others. And I think there are three things in today's scripture that can help us to do that. First, it's important to remember to run with friends. If you're going to take on something as big as running a marathon, it's important to surround yourself with people who are going to encourage you, to cheer you on, and to prevent you from quitting too soon. People who will boil you up. If you look at this passage from 2 Timothy, Paul is writing advice to Timothy and advice to the early church. He wants to strengthen and, and, and make the church as, as good as it possibly can be and as strong. And yet, a few verses after today's scripture, he writes this, do your best to come to me soon. Luke alone is with me, Get Mark and bring him also, for he is very useful. And when you come, bring the coat that I left in Troas, and also the books, and above all, the parchments. You can hear in this passage his commitment to continue to lead the church, but you can also hear his desire to be surrounded by his friends. Paul knows that in order to be able to finish this well, he needs strength from others. And so he relies on his friends to do that. In life, we will sometimes face difficulty at home or at work or in school. And those are the very moments that we need to reach out and ask for help from our friends. And yet too often, we don't do that. Maybe it's because we're embarrassed. We don't want people to see the things that we're struggling with. Or maybe our pride gets in the way and we really want to do it all just by ourselves. And yet a friend is someone who wants to be there to, to help us when we're down, to encourage and cheer for us. A friend and a loved one in those times can be the very embodiment of God's love for us. In the book, 365 Thank Yous, The author John Kralik talks about his experience when he started running again. Now, you may remember his story from the time that we discussed him in our year of gratitude. John Kralik was an attorney, and he wrote about what he considered the worst period of his life. He was a divorced father. He was dating a woman for a long time, and and she broke it off. 
He was estranged from his son, and he only got to see his young daughter a few times every week. And his law practice was struggling financially. And it was during this period of his life that he felt that God was calling him to practice gratitude and to focus on the things of his life that were blessing him instead of focusing on the things that he didn't have or that he wanted. And so he made a commitment to send out 365 thank you cards, one for each day to all the different individuals who blessed his life. And what he discovered is that in the intentional practice of gratitude, his life changed. He became someone who understood that everything he had and all the relationships that blessed him and brought him joy far outweighed the negative circumstances of his life. He was able to focus on how he could make a difference and not worry about things that he couldn't control. Well, throughout this year, he came to the end of the year, and that was when he decided to sign up for a marathon, and he started training for that, run, uh, that marathon by practicing running again and exercising and getting in shape. But it had been quite a while since he had done any exercising. He found that now that he was over 50, it took him longer to get back into shape, He had also developed asthma through the years, and his knees gave him problems. Every time he went out, even for a short run, his knees would become terribly inflamed. And so shortly after he started training, he wondered why he ever thought of doing it in the first place. Around that time, he was developing his law practice and trying to expand, um, and so he was doing a little bit of estate planning. And a friend of his came in, and he was visiting with her and filling out the forms, helping her to do her will. And he asked her the question, now, you have two sons, right? Well, she didn't answer. And he looked up, and he saw that her countenance had changed, and it was obvious that she was struggling to maintain her composure. And after a few moments, she finally said, no, I I had three sons. I lost one son when he was just a teenager because of leukemia. At that point, she started to cry, and and finally she excused herself, and, and John was left sitting there, and he was very moved by her loss and her grief, and he decided that he could run and be inspired to run because of her loss and run for the sake of leukemia support and awareness. And so he had this new inspiration to his life, and he surrounded himself with friends and coaches that were helping him to train. Now, many times he wanted to give up, but they encouraged him on, even through a period two weeks before the marathon race, when he became very sick, and he didn't want to go running at all, but they knew that he had to run at least a little bit to be able to be ready, and so they helped him, you know, even through that time. Well, the day of the marathon finally came, and wouldn't you know it, on that day, it started pouring down rain. And he thought, well, that's it. I'm done. There's no point in this. But his coach was there to say, of course you're going to run. And he gave him a plastic garbage bag, and he tore one hole in the top and two in the sides for his head and his arms, and he said, now get running. 
And John thought, you know, I'll run part of the way. I have to make at least a decent showing of this. So he ran for 16 miles and he said, that's it, I'm done. I can't go any farther. My back hurts. He couldn't think of putting one more foot in front of the other, let alone 10 more miles. But it was that moment that he happened to see two men running. They were also running for leukemia support. Their names were Jesse and Raj. Now, it was obvious that Jesse was the stronger runner of the two. He was helping Raj to stay on pace, encouraging him. And so John asked the two men if he could join them, and they graciously agreed. And now both of them were encouraging John. They wouldn't let him stop. They wouldn't let him quit. They were there to cheer him on to the very finish, and they all finished together. Now, at that moment, John encouraged them to go on because he wanted to have a moment and hug his daughter and his family and all the people who were there to support him. Now that day, John Kralik knew that he wasn't going to come in first, but winning wasn't his goal. His goal was to finish the race, and he had friends to help him do that. Second, it's important to run with the idea of something bigger than yourself. You know, a little while back, I was contacted by someone of this church family who asked me, uh, said that they were running in today's marathon and, and wondered if they would be able to run in honor of my father who was killed in the bombing. Uh, someone who loves their church family here so very much, and they wanted to have a spirit of their run that was something about celebrating life, remembering those who were lost, and, and giving thanks for all that we have. I was incredibly moved by that. Yesterday, out of the blue, I got a message asking me, was your father Thomas Hawthorne? And I said, yes. And then they sent me a picture. They're part of a relay race today, and one of their team members went down to pick up their race bibs and also picked up five bibs of people that they were running in honor of and just totally random happened to pick up my father's bib for them to wear. And I was so grateful for that grace moment. This morning... I went outside to see all the runners going by and all of you cheering them on. I, have, I happened to hear this one girl over and over say, don't quit now, don't quit now. It was so special to be a part of something so important. And it got me to thinking, if we had 25,000 people participating today and countless number of volunteers all over the city, all committed to bringing hope in the world, to honoring those who lost their lives, and to celebrating the life that we have today and, and reaching for the future, we were all a part of something very great today. When we are focused on something bigger than ourselves, it gives us stamina for the race ahead. It helps spur us on. Paul knew this. He was facing the death, death sentence. He knew that his time was short. Now, 
It would have been easy for anyone to assume that his ministry was over once he was imprisoned and he was sentenced to death, and yet not Paul. He never gave up. He continued to lead and write and influence the church, and he accomplished something incredible. Recently, we've been talking a lot about Lauren Hill. She is the young woman who in her senior year of high school, on her birthday, signed to play basketball for a college in Cincinnati. And then just two months later, she was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. She died just a couple of weeks ago, and her life has influenced so many people. When she found out about her diagnosis, she was given two years to live and And she wasn't even able to live that long. She was suffering throughout all of this time. Because of the cancer, she had terrible headaches. She was dizzy, nauseous. She would fatigue easily. And yet her motto was, never give up. She wanted not to focus on herself in the days that remained. She wanted to make a difference with the time that she had left And so she committed herself to raising awareness for this particular form of cancer that she had, a type of cancer that really only affects very young children. It was kind of a fluke that she got it. But she knew that she could raise awareness. And in the time that she had left, she raised over a million and a half dollars. She finished her race well. Well, early on, she talked about the struggle she had in hearing her diagnosis and yet wanting to accomplish something. She wrote the following, and she posted this online. Initially, I hit an emotional low point. You know, like, what am I doing here? Why is this happening to me? Why do these things happen to anyone? I stayed up late and cried and prayed. I asked for something that night. I asked for God to let me be the voice for these kids and families affected by this cancer and to let me spread awareness because more people need to know about it. I made a vow that I would take every opportunity sent my way to raise awareness. And so that's why I've been speaking at events and doing interviews. Spreading awareness for this cancer is all I want to do now, and I'm shocked at how far this story has gone. My thanks to everyone for their support, their prayers, and for helping me spread the word. And then, at the end of this, she signed with the words, feeling grateful. Can you imagine that? In spite of this incredibly sad diagnosis that she was given, she was feeling grateful And that was because she was able to focus not on her own suffering and loss, but on something much larger than her. And focusing on that helped her to finish well. Imagine that you only had a limited amount of time left. What would you do with it? The reality is that's all any of us have. We have this much time of life here on earth And it's this time that we shouldn't waste. We should live this to the very most, to make a difference, to make the world a better place. When she was asked about her motto, to never give up, Lauren explained it this way. She said, nobody ever knows how much time you have left. 
I could be gone tomorrow or I could be here for another year. So why stop? Why give up on life? And third, it's important to make sure you run through the finish line. I ran track in junior and senior high, and I remember one of the cardinal rules of any race was to make sure you ran hard through the finish line. Even in practice, you couldn't ease up. You had to run as hard as you could through that finish line so that you always gave your all for the entire race. And there was no chance of you ending early, and it allowed you to finish well. For Paul, he writes, The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul's saying that his relationship with Christ, his faith, helps him to understand that death is not the end of his life. It's the beginning of his new life. And when you have the assurance of life eternal, it allows you to have confidence living life to the fullest here and now. We are called to greatness. We are called to live beyond ourselves here and now in the time that we've been given. People like Lauren Hill and Coach Dean Smith are people that I greatly admire and respect for their ability to face their own mortality and yet never give up, continuing to live to the very end and being able to finish well. Their lives remind me of a prayer that's out of our hymn book. It's one of my favorite prayers. It says, O God who gave us birth, you are ever more ready to hear than we are to pray. You know our needs before we ask and our ignorance in asking. Give to us now your grace that as we shrink before the mystery of death, we may see the light of eternity. Speak to us once more your solemn message of life and of death. Help us to live as those who are prepared to die. And when our days here are accomplished, enable us to die as those who go forth to live, so that in living or in dying, our life may be in you and that nothing in life or in death will be able to separate us from your great love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You know, the death of Dean Smith is particularly tender because he died with Alzheimer's. Now, Alzheimer's disease is a tragic illness for anyone or any family, but perhaps especially for someone like Dean Smith, because he was known for having an incredible memory. He remembered all of his players through all of those years of coaching. He knew their families. He knew the games that they played in. In fact, one story that points that out happened back in 1989. It was a few years before he retired. And he had decided to send a highlight reel, a videotape, to all of his former and current players that showed their best performances and best games. And so he was having his assistant coach review these tapes. And he was walking by when he was reviewing one of the game tapes. And he stopped and he told his assistant, now watch this play coming up here. 
Because what's going to happen is Yogi is going to get a backdoor pass from Billy Cunningham, and he's going to score off of it. And then the next play, Yogi is going to pass it to Billy, and Billy's going to score. Well, sure enough, it happened just exactly the way the coach called it. And so the assistant was, you know, really surprised, and he said, when's the last time you watched this tape? And he thought for a second, and he said, well, the day after the game. That game took place in 1963, 26 years earlier, and he hadn't forgotten a moment of it. And yet, for all these players that he remembered, Alzheimer's began to cause his memory to fade. At first, it started with him just, you know, stumbling over someone's name, but then he started having trouble recognizing faces And in the very last couple years of his life, his wife and children weren't sure that he even recognized them. He was a man of deep, deep faith and always went to church. And and yet, in the very end of his life, when his family took him to the church that he had been a part of uh, for most of his life, they weren't sure that he recognized it any longer. And so think of what he did in his will before his death Before he lost his memory, he understood that the time of his departure was growing near. And he prepared in advance so that all of his loved ones, all of his players would know that even despite Alzheimer's, they were not forgotten. For Lauren Hill, Dean Smith, for the Apostle Paul, all of them finished the race and finished well because they ran through and continued to let their lives speak for them. If we will surround ourselves with loved ones who will cheer us on, if we will focus on living life to the fullest and and things that are great to accomplish, and if we will trust in our relationship with Christ, we will find that when we come to the end of our days, we will have lives that have been well-lived, and we, have, we will have fulfilled our call to greatness. It's in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers.